0: Uh, I arranged the youth recently into teams. There are four teams, each having a team leader. Uh, Hopefully, parents got a letter that I sent out. And so each team uh, has a team scripture. And so they're supposed to be memorizing that scripture. So they don't know when I'm going to ask them. And so I went around the night with two um, Cold Stone, $10 Cold Stone cards. And if they knew their team scripture... I asked about ten kids. I still have one. So the first kid that comes up that knows the team Scripture after church, you get this card. Kid. Matthew 13. Otherwise, I'm going to go to Coldstone. Amen. Matthew 13. Now the church, and this is a tag team and a little on pastor, very difficult to preach after services like that. Uh, but I have to preach. Amen. And so, um, it's kind of tag teams a little. We didn't coordinate this at all. Uh, but another kind of view of this whole thing that, you know, the church as a whole, uh, is a very complex spiritual infrastructure. And you know what? You and I are never going to totally figure this thing out. Uh, we'll never fully exhaust every possible scenario that people bring to the table. And there really isn't a particular handbook with all the answers, although certainly the Bible gives us a lot of guidance. But, you know, if you could just turn to a a particular place all the time and it just this scenario is there and it's been worked out and this is how to deal with that, that'd be great. With all of the complexities that are presented to you and I, as we work with people and as we're involved in ministry, we the members of the church, must be growing in our ability to make it all work together. Now, my title will sound like I really have this thing figured out, but I'm going to really present more uh, questions than answers tonight. (laughs) But think about it for a moment. All of the different backgrounds of people, we're dealing with different personalities, maturity levels, financial status, the issues involved in people's lives, the different worldviews people have. Some are lazy, some are workaholics, some come from absolute dysfunction, others from structured homes. You have all of these prejudices and biases and all of this. All together brought to the table is a lot to deal with when it comes to the function in God's church, and especially when we deal with the important areas of relationships and redemption. This is complex. This is not some simple ABC equation. And what prompted this sermon was a larger than normal amount of people that came to me, everything from a newer convert to very seasoned saints, with people problems, frustrations, vexations that came and will attach to other people's actions or inactions. So I want to preach God's church, making it all work together, and attempt to give some, some sort of validity to the title. And so Matthew 13, why don't you read with me, beginning in verse 20. He who received the seed in the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in his field, but while the enemy slept, or, or while he slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and then went his way. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner said, sir, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said, an enemy has done this. The servant said, do you want us to go gather them up? But he said, no. Unless while you gather the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. God's church making it all work together. Let me first talk about the constant learning curve. It is true in life and certainly true in the kingdom of God that we are on a permanent learning curve. Now, this text that I read is surrounded by parables concerning the process of the harvest associated with God's church. That's the whole of Matthew 13. And it is certainly not limited to the text I chose, and I will grab from another part of that. But Jesus is presenting the complexities of the kingdom of God. He talks about the four seeds with the four different results that... Some grew and they, they they showed signs of life and vibrance only to shrivel or get choked out over the process of time. He then spoke about these tears that were sown in a wheat field and the problems that that presented. The workers understood the problems that presented, but it became even more problematic when he said tearing them out's not an option because if you go and just yank them out, it's going to cause more damage. He talked about a dragnet in the last part of that chapter that this dragnet is cast into the sea and all of these, he says, are picture of the kingdom of God. So this dragnet is cast and he draw it in and it gathered all the many different types of fish in the same net. So what is presented to us is something beyond human ability, something that will take God at work, uh, teaching us, guiding us. uh, in how to navigate the complexities of his church and the complexities of his kingdom. Now, in John 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he speaks about his departure and that he's going to leave and they're going to be left with this church. They're going to be left with this work of God that they're going to have to facilitate. And the day was coming when the weight of this would be upon them and they're going to have to figure this out. But it's here we find this great promise of the Helper. And Jesus says in John fourteen twenty five through 27, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I have said to you. So here is this great promise that in all of the complexities of the kingdom the things that are certainly beyond the human element. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you this Holy Spirit as a helper or a teacher. And this speaks to you and I of a great need that we cannot navigate God's church without this critical factor of the Holy Spirit at work guiding us, convicting us, helping us and teaching us. And the day that we come to the place that we begin to navigate out of carnal means, we're going to begin to make some serious mistakes. The disciples would be presented with many, many scenarios along the way that would be an incredible challenge to their leadership, starting on the day of Pentecost. Because they preach, 3,000 people get saved, and they have to figure out how to work all this out. Shortly after, they begin to run into this persecution that begins to shake the church. By Acts chapter six, we're in the issue of the widows, which was no small matter. And on and on it went. The complexities of things that begin to come their way, which now we understand. And you can appreciate uh, the, the fact that they said we can't detach ourselves from prayer and preaching. Uh, we have to give that our priority because that's their only hope of navigating this thing. And so the learning curve never stops. When you think about it, one of the keys to a flourishing Christian life and church is the constant growth associating with learning. We're constantly learning how to appropriate redemption and work with different types of people and deal with our own selves at the same time. And and the greater problems that come is when we stop learning or we stop uh, allowing that element when God is no longer able to change us and keep grooming our hearts in his redemption and not able to bring us into a greater wisdom. This is when things begin to stall out. And we must be a people that are ever learning and growing in the things of God, every one of us. One of the things about being a long-standing pastor that I can say I've learned is that I still have a lot to learn. Yeah, you would think and, and by no means does it mean that experience doesn't help, but the longer you go along, you realize, my Lord, this is over my head uh, and, and God has to help us. And one of the keys to a growing and flourishing church is members that are growing with it. And so in Luke 9, here are the disciples, and you know, they've been with Jesus, they've watched him cast out demons, they've watched him heal the sick, and, and you know, uh, they, they've been a part of this, and so they're, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, and so, uh, here, here comes the situation presented to them, uh, they, they probably think they got it all figured out, and they, they run upon this stronghold situation, they have no answer for it, their prayers are, are non-effective, they're, they're stumped. They're stumped. And, and and so here's this learning curve at work because Jesus comes down and he sees this uh, and he sees their inability and he takes time to minister to them about this and point out that this type comes but by prayer and fasting. Right. So here here's this learning curve. And, and this is the constant. You never stop. We never arrive. It never, you know, the, the complexities are too vast. And, and guess what? They get more complex the, the, the further we go in life. And there is no formula or textbook approach we could fall back on. Trust me, if somebody had that figured out, man, this would make pastoring a whole lot easier. We could just turn to page nine. And 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 I realize we have the word of God and it doesn't leave us in the dark. But listen, if it was just all worked out and we had been there, done that. And here you go, do this, do that. And, and boy, we could just go on and sleep at night. But there's this learning curve. And it comes down to constantly growing and enlarging in the depth and the wisdom of God. Because how many know there are more mistakes to be made? You're not going to make all the right decisions concerning people all the time. You're not always going to give all the right counsel or come to the right conclusions. Now, that's not an excuse to just be haphazard, but that's just a fact we have to deal with. And this puts an even greater emphasis then on the other's element of the kingdom of God because accessing the wisdom and the counsel of others becomes paramount. That there's a tremendous wealth of wisdom and experience when we all put our lives and minds together. And this is a critical element of the kingdom of God. If you're going to set out to do it alone, you're going to be eaten up and spit out. The disciples asked Jesus consider concerning their inability to cast out that demon. Why couldn't we cast him out? They realized their ineffectiveness and they went where they knew of one who knew more than they did. And they got the answer. So this is learning curve. So let me then talk about the imperfection that we face. Because we, we have to be reminded how imperfect God's church is. I know, that just sounds like, why do you got to say that? We know that, but you'd be surprised why you have to say that. And this really is hard for those that expect perfect as a result of working with people and leading people. It is the exact opposite most of the time. And yeah, it can be frustrating, but that's just the reality. And let me restate an old understanding. There is no such thing as a problem-free church. Add on top of this the complexities of the church. And so Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a net cast into the sea and it gathers every kind. Now, how many know that every kind is the problem? Every kind trying to function together as one can present some serious dilemmas along the way. And just in case you have forgotten or overlooked one very important fact, the imperfection begins with you. And we have to be very careful of something. Now, I've had to preach this sermon to myself a lot of times over the years. But we have to be very careful of something. And that is that we lose our tolerance for all these imperfect, problem people that we're surrounded by in the church. These people. And you know, let me let me say something else. If it's too obvious to you, that's fine. You just go in your obvious world, but for some it's not. Discipleship is not a perfect science. It does not even guarantee the end result will be what it's intended to be. Bummer, because there's a lot of work put into discipleship. Just to come to an end and realize, whew, there's still a lot of lack around here. Now, remember Paul's assessment of the people of Crete? Titus 1, 12? He said, one of them, a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then he says, this testimony is true. <laughs> and he says, Titus, that's why I sent you there. I want you to pasture those lazy, lying gluttons. I want you to pastor those people. And in the, the text, we have people that couldn't overcome persecution. Others that got over and caught up in the riches and the cares of life. And, and you invest all this time in them for them to either go belly up or just stay at this carnal existence. But this is what we're dealing with. This is the imperfection that we have to deal with. And a very important thing to remember is the church and our lives is a work in progress. I used to carry a card in my pocket. I don't know what it looked like—a little Dennis the Menace guy—and uh, and it said, "Be patient. God is not finished with me yet." You know, uh, you got to remind yourself of that and remind others. <laughs> Doesn't mean we don't still challenge people and deal with people and even get upset at times. Look at how Paul said to deal with those under Titus. He said in Titus 1.13, Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in their faith. That wasn't, you know, tiptoe around everything and all of that, but but have a reality. This is what you're dealing with. This is what we're dealing with. And so think about this text again because Jesus spoke about these tares. That they're being sown into this wheat field. And an enemy did this Under the cover of night. To hinder the progress of the wheat. So if I haven't already said enough. Here's a whole other factor to deal with. In the kingdom of God. And that is that there's an enemy. And he's always tampering with the church. And with the people. And sowing seed in the church. And trying to do these things to disrupt. And and so here on top of everything else we're already dealing with. We have this enemy at work. And what makes this all more complicated, on top of that, is we're told not to tear the tares out. Let them grow together. No, 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 no. no. We're just going to tear them out, get rid of them, because they're really agitating me really bad. But he said, don't do that, because if you do, you're going to cause more damage. I mean, I know life would be so much easier if we could just just tear it out, kick it to the curb, and be done with it. But there's, this, this is deep stuff. This is complex stuff we're dealing with. And it just adds a whole nother layer to the problems and the imperfections associated with the church. And I'm sure glad that you figured it all out, because I sure haven't. Amen. And there is no easy way to build God's church. I know sometimes we know better, but listen, (laughs) this is not easy stuff. And if nothing else, the devil will never allow things to be simple. Think about the initial seed in our parable. Because it's sown on the wayside. And the enemy it immediately comes and devours it. So you're sowing this seed, and it doesn't even get a chance. It's devoured, gone, it's never going to grow, it's never going to amount to anything. And you don't have to have pioneered to experience and understand this, but if you have pioneered, you will really understand this. Because you're starting from scratch. Nothing. And a lot of the seed that you sow initially falls on that wayside and it's almost i could just be sure that right behind me on my outreaches the devil was right there and just as soon as i knocked on that door and witnessed and left that he knocked on that door to steal the seed i mean my wife and i when we pioneered I mean, we labored we we got these these samoans that were down in carson and we'd get a big group of 25 of those guys and they would cover that city and we would street preach and we'd put out and then we'd go to church and not a soul showed up. What is happening? And you're dealing with all of these factors at work. And this alone places high importance upon prayer. Because God's church must have the influence of his people's prayers, because this is paramount in, in what we're doing and what we're dealing with. you know, if people would pray as much as they nitpick and gossip, the devil wouldn't have a chance, man. Jesus had his bouts with his imperfect disciples and Paul had his bouts with imperfect churches. His disciples had this annoying habit of running people off. You know, here they are, these studs in the Spirit, you know. Chosen by God Himself. And they had this habit, the kids come along, run them off. The, the multitudes are there, just run them back home. Is this, this, this annoying habit. His main disciple rebukes him head on. After three years with these guys, they're still struggling in prayer. Paul would give his life in a city No sooner did he leave, people are believing lies about him. You mean nothing I did meant more to you than that? Paul's prize church turned out to be the most carnal of them all. I'm talking about the imperfections of God's church. I'm talking about... But this doesn't stump God by any means. But it stumps us. It messes with our theology and our ability... To work it all out. And I I think we need a sign at our entrance. A new sign. Somebody can make that for us. And it needs to say, Welcome to our imperfect church. You should fit in just fine. So let me close and talk about the key components to making it all work together. And that sounds like you're going to get more answers than you are. But there is a God factor in what we're doing. And God's church is backed by God and His Word. And that means a lot. Because we are able to go to the Word of God. And we are able to gain wisdom from it and insight and Holy Ghost direction and guidance. And God is real and He's very active. He doesn't just leave us to ourselves. There's this God factor. And in this text, with God's oversight, they're directed to leave the tares... He will deal with them in His time of harvest. Now we wouldn't do that in our in our reactionary knee jerk. We would just get in there and start just tearing things out and and going after it, cleaning the house. Let's get it back to where it's perfect for us. He says, "No, leave them." Now I'm not saying you never deal with anything, but that's not what this sermon's about right now. God's oversight. Leave the tears. I'll deal with them in my time. Yes. And people can get all bent out of shape because the things in church aren't dealt with in the timing they think it should be. Now, I can tell you something from having pastored a little while. This isn't a blanket statement, but it has some merit. And that is that it can be a very big mistake if you always... Deal with everything you see or hear as it happens. Because there's some things you have to leave to God for a while. I hate it as much as you sometimes. But it's just the fact of the matter. Because there's this God factor. If we don't leave room for the God factor, we're gonna mess some things up. We already have a hard enough time without, you know, letting the God factor. And with this God factor comes the faith factor. We believe that God will do the things we cannot. God is more than aware of the problems in his church. He is more than aware of people's heart and motive. And he is not freaked out by any of this. We're the ones that are freaked out. So Jesus says to us in Mark 9, 23, if you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. That's powerful stuff that you can hang your coat on. And in Mark 10, 27, But Jesus looked and said, With men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. We must be able to trust God with His church and the people associated with it. At the end of the day, that's paramount. But I want to give you, before I close, three Practical, personal components that will help you as you work through, because you're the church. You're the ones that are going to have to facilitate and process and deal with a, a, a lot of stuff. And so I want to leave you with three practical, personal components that will help us to make it all work together. And the first of those is very simple. Keeping a right heart. Now, that's harder than it sounds. It sounded good coming off my lips. That was smooth. There was no hiccups. Just just flowed. Keeping your heart right. But in reality, when we have to live in that little world, uh, that's tested. Because our text is surrounding a harvest which involves people and anything that involves people, it's going to be hard to keep your heart right and you have to really work at it. It's not just some simple process. as long as there are people in the equation, it's going to test our hearts. And I want to counsel you, do not become tainted about people. Do not become bitter. Do not become resentful. Because it will kill you, and it will kill your ability to help God in His redemption. And the second practical, personal component is you must learn compassion and mercy. Now, this was Jesus' issue with the Pharisees. Because here were people that just didn't know how to treat people. And there were all different motives involved in it. But Jesus told them in Matthew 9, 13, Go and learn what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So he's highlighting something that's deep here. Because it's not something that we're just born again with. We have to learn this. God has to put this in us. He has to teach us. His compassion. He has to teach us His mercy. Because we like the liberty that we can take to just blow people away. But that's not the way that we do it. And the Pharisees didn't treat people well. And Jesus' response was look, I'm looking for you to show mercy and compassion to people. You know, it's it's a weird little psychology in people when you start talking about these things that if if they haven't worked it out, they almost feel like you're asking them to compromise somehow. Compromise God's righteousness. We have to take a stand. You can take a stand and judge sin and still have a lot of mercy and compassion. Unfortunately, it took me a long time to learn this. But this goes a long way in helping you keep your heart right. And the third component you're going to need, if we're going to make it all work together, is you're going to have to learn the skill of working the gray areas. Because things in life and things in the kingdom, well, let's just say things in the kingdom, because we're dealing with redemption, are not black and white. Again, it would be so much easier if it was. Just call it what it is. Deal with it how you. Done. And in the Old Testament, that's kind of the way it was. The law pretty much dictated the results and the response. I can tell you right now, I wouldn't have had over 60 kids and youth because they'd all, most of them, be dead from stoning, from rebelling the parents. We'd have a heap of bodies stacked somewhere around here. Black and white, man. Easy stuff. You little rebel, get over here. <laughs> Done. And in some ways, it made things easier. They did this. The says do this. But the age of grace, create, grace creates a lot of gray areas. And what do I mean by gray areas? Because we, we, we hear that and we think compromise, compromise. And, and I would say a decent percentage of the kingdom of God functions in gray areas. You know, that that there isn't an across-the-board response to, that that it would vary. There's variables involved uh, from one situation to the next involving certain things. And then when you're dealing with actions, as you've heard it before, it's not all a heaven or hell issue. It's not all saved or not saved issue. So all of a sudden, that right there spins some people's heads because we're like, darn, man, I thought I had it figured out. And I've even found from my own self that a lot of these gray areas are simply conflicts with our personal biases and prejudices that, that we're trying to process because of what we have in us and we see something totally different in somebody else and we have a really hard time and, and I'll tell you, it's, it's critical how you deal with these, what we're going to call gray areas because this will present you tremendous problems if you're a black and white person. Because there's a skill and a temperament associated with working gray areas that you must learn, and it all involves God's grace. You want to learn another thing? Mercy, compassion, God's grace. Because this is where you work out these types. It's God's grace. And, And it's not an easy thing, but God will help us. How you function in God's grace and how you appropriate that grace towards others. Because there's a lot that we deal with in people and people's actions that aren't black and white. It does take a skill and a, a way to go about it in order to appropriate grace. If you don't learn this, you're always going to be exploding, losing your temper, jacking people up and accusing them beyond what they've really done. Because you're going to be missing this. you got to learn God's grace. And by no means does this cover and answer and help in every situation, but I believe this can help us, especially, you know, in a church this size. And all of the you know, the bigger a church gets, the more complex things become. I told Ernie the other day, man, I think I'm just gonna go pioneer, it's just a simpler life. Whew. I don't mean it, chill out. But it is complex. But God will help us. And here's this powerful parable that He gives us. He gives us some insight, oversight, and if we'll take this and we'll have the heart to make it work together, God will help us and we'll continue to press on, continue to go forward. God will work this thing through and He'll help us to grow. That's what... And learn and grow in the grace of God and abound in faith and know how to appropriate the God factor and work with what God is doing. And He'll help us to attain humility, which ultimately is what we need tonight. Can you say amen? I want every head bowed and every eye closed. So We've had a great day today. But we want to let God finish it at this altar before we move on into our week. Maybe you're here and you're not right with God. You, you know, there's nothing easy about not living for God. You know, people say, it's so hard to serve God. No, it's a whole lot harder to live for the devil. And all that comes with it, the difficulties and the consequences that mount up and the, the curses that you're dealing with in your life. You need to surrender your heart to Jesus. Give your life to Christ. Let Him change you. Let Him do a miracle in you. I always ask people, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of dealing with this? Aren't you just tired of... Don't you want some help? There's a hope tonight, but will you accept it? That's the question. Will you allow Jesus Christ to enter in and begin to move and do a miracle in your life? Change things in in and around you that you've found no answers for. And don't be deceived to think you've got it all worked out and you can figure it out. That's just not true. Because you can't figure out how to get to heaven without Jesus. You're sitting here tonight and you're ready to give your life to Jesus. God is ready and waiting for you. And I want to ask you to do something if that's you. If you're not right with God, you're just ready to be honest about that. I'm just not right with God. But I'm ready to get right with God tonight. I want Jesus in my life. I want His change, His forgiveness, His help. I want to ask you to lift your hand up and signify. And I can pray with you tonight. Who's that all across this place? Over here. Thank you very much. Who else? Thank you over here. God is dealing with you right now. You're not right with God. But you're ready to get right tonight. Thank you over here. You're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Give your heart over Jesus. Who else? God is dealing with you right now. Tonight is your night. God is waiting on you. to Come to him. He's made all the provisions. He's done everything that needs to be done so that you can get right now. You have to choose. And you're ready to do that tonight. Lift your hand up. I want to pray with you here. You're not right. You're backslidden. You're ready to come back to Jesus. I want you to lift your hand up right now so I can see it. Thank you here. Who else? Thank you very much. Who else? You're ready to get your life right with God. Align your heart with Jesus. Break the curse of sin. Let the love of God... Come into your life. Come to Jesus. Lift your hand up. Who else? Very quickly, God is dealing with you right now. All across this assembly. You may be religious. You may believe in the Bible, but you've never lived it. Thank you. You can put that hand down. But you've never lived it, or you're not living it now. You once did. You're ready to come to Christ. Lift your hand up. Okay, you lifted your hand. Would you look at me? Did you mean that? I believe you did. Would you come meet me at this altar? We're not trying to embarrass you. Who would come... Her, come pray with her. God bless you. There's a young boy in the back. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Been a lot said throughout the day today. Sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming, but you know, when the presence of God is here, it gives you hope, it gives you encouragement. God wants to help us and we need a lot of help. We need a help in how to make His church work. We need a lot of help in how to work with people and deal with ourselves at the same time. It's way too complex and then there's this demonic intertwining that just really messes the whole thing up. But, But God is on the throne. He's given us a Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us wise leadership. And, and tonight, we need to strive to make it all work together. And it's, it's all about relationships and redemption tonight. If you, can, if you can make those two work, so much more will work surrounding it. You learn God's grace, compassion, mercy. and Out of those, you're able to then govern the way that God governs. So tonight we're going to answer the altar call And we're going to respond Part of this is a lingering from this morning That God is still doing in hearts From this morning's message That you're going to bring to this altar Or maybe directly related to this tonight But that we would just let God have access to our hearts I want to ask you to stand And I'm going to invite you to come to this altar tonight And we're going to make a place to lay hold of God God's going to make a deposit God's going to help you God's going to direct you Lord, we give you praise, glory, and honor, and I thank you. God, we are reliant upon you tonight. God, your help, your guidance. We thank you that you've equipped us. Oh, but God, we come and we bow before you. We surrender to Your sovereignty tonight, O God, to Your lordship. Thank you, Lord, You're worthy, You're worthy. Hallelujah! Oh, yes, touch heaven tonight. God's gonna move in Your behalf. Oh, Lord, we thank you and worship you and honor you and praise you. Lord, we are a needy people and we're asking for your help and guidance. Lord, you're equipping in your church. Lord, you're enabling power. Lord, the freshness of the Holy Spirit, our helper tonight. God, we're seeking your wisdom and guidance, your understanding. Oh, Libi alamandi bisibi. Hi alaba korebe si Hallelujah, Lord and Savior. God, we thank you. Hi bisi bi ki Amando robo korebe bi ki alabande. Oh, God, we thank you for the abundant grace of God that is at work here tonight. God that you will move at these altars, Lord, make yourself known before us. Thank you, Lord, wonderful God, giving you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. Jesus, we magnify you and glorify you. Oh, God, I thank you and worship you. Would you stand at the altars and simply lift your hands? We're going to sing this song of worship. We're going to allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us. Don't go to your seat standing right where you're at, lifting your hands. I want you to sing. Let's touch heaven tonight as we worship. Thank you for the cross oh, tonight, we give you all the praise tonight, God. God. Hallelujah.
1: That God himself would die for such as us. And every day we're changed into your image more and more. Yes, by the cross we've truly been transformed. yes, we're so amazed. And we're so amazed. You would save us At such a cost You're so amazed And we give you praise For the power of Oh, well, let's sing it one more time Thank you for the cross Thank you for the cross The mighty cross God himself would die for such as us. And every day we're changed into your image more and more. And yes, by the cross we've truly been transformed. Oh yes, we're so amazed. We're so amazed. You're so amazed nice, and we give you praise for the power of, oh yes, for the power cross. of the cross and for the power oh
0: yes, it's for the power of the cross and for the power Oh, well, would you just worship God tonight, Father? We come before you with praise. My Lord, my Savior, Redeemer of all we love and praise and magnify.
1: Be lifted up, oh God. Hallelujah,
0: my Lord and Redeemer, we thank you. Jesus, we worship you.
1: Hallelujah my Lord my savior righteous and holy God faithful and
0: worthy Glorious Savior, we do rejoice in your presence, O God. We thank you for the goodness of God. Oh, for your redeeming hand, O Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah. For the abundant grace and the mercy that has been poured upon us. For the endless compassion of the Lord, we thank you.
1: He couldn't be
0: Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank God. Amen. Thank God for a wonderful day in His presence. The Word of God that has helped us, guided us. And let's go through the week. And let's just be encouraged, encourage one another. Let's be in prayer. Let's look for John Crow. Amen. He's out there. And let's believe God for good things. Amen. As we go through the week. Amen. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to dismiss the service. The night's early. Rejoice with one another in fellowship. Our heads are bowed. Juan Gonzalez is lifting his voice and dismissing us tonight. Amen. Hallelujah.